Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I have a guest with me this week and I'm really excited to talk to her. Not only is she a fellow coach, but also she's had personal experience. So this is kind of a bit of a professional and lived experience episode. It is Christy Hayes. Hi Christy, how are you? Hi, Harriet. I'm good. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. So for people who are not familiar with you, can you let them know a little bit about what you do? We found each other on Instagram, and I think that's a wonderful place to connect as a community. But can you let people know a little bit about what you do? Yes. So I am a therapist turned coach, and I focus on working with specifically adult women who are dealing with toxic moms and helping them decide, one, is my mom really toxic? Is my experience that bad? Help them validate that experience and then decide if no contact is the best boundary for them and then help them with that process. How do you actually go no contact? What can you expect in the aftermath of it? How do you take care of yourself? And then how do you find happiness beyond that? How do you find that newfound family, develop that new sense of identity and self that sometimes gets so tangled and enmeshed in the toxic mom? Oh yeah, we definitely, yeah, I can definitely relate to the enmeshed side and that having to find who you are, that was a big, big thing for me and still something that I think even now I can struggle with at times. It's it's really difficult to find your own identity when you've never been allowed to have one. Yes. And that was my experience as well. Like didn't really get to have a, a childhood and therefore didn't really get to develop like hobbies and personal interest and Everything had to be what mom wanted it to be, who I was supposed to be for her, um, or it was disappointment. Um, So those were things that just weren't allowed for me. Mm. And what was your personal experience growing up? And then you've you've mentioned online that you are no contact with your mom yourself. So what has been your personal experience throughout that? Yeah, I think uh, for me, I was what I like to call a a late bloomer to recognizing the toxicity of my mother. If you had talked to me, oh, I would say even 10 years ago, I'd be like, I had this great childhood. My mom is wonderful. We're so close. I love her so much. Yeah. Um, There was, 
I think a sense of denial, which is probably part of the gaslighting mm-hmm. in terms of a lived experience with her. I think for me, one of the best things was telling childhood stories and seeing other people's reactions yeah. and be like, oh, your mom didn't do that. Or they would have a horrified look on their face and be like, yeah. oh, okay. I'm laughing through this and they're going, that's traumatic and sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. I'm sure that sounds yeah. familiar to so many people that the, when you just the penny drops that maybe that wasn't actually the cute anecdote that you've got from your childhood. That was really traumatic. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, it's just normal. It's normal when one drawer of your dresser is messed up. So mom takes all the drawers out, dumps them on the floor and you have to start over. Mm-hmm. Oh, that that's not what moms do. That, that's not... <laughs> That's not everybody's experience. Uh, So that's one of those stories that I would tell and I would get these horrified reactions from people. Yeah. And then when I would talk about my childhood with my therapist and just the look on her face, and I am so honored and grateful that she has her emotions present for us when we speak and in the work that we did, because it was seeing someone else's genuine reaction to my experiences that made me go, oh, this isn't okay. This isn't normal. This shouldn't have happened to you. You deserved better. Mm. Yeah. I think it's quite difficult when you, when you're in therapy, because I'm a trainee therapist. One of the things that you are told so often is that you kind of have to, you have to step away. You have to, you know, hold space for the client and that you have to be almost as if and in some therapy disciplines it's almost as if you are just there for a blank canvas and just to let them go and let them talk and let them get it all out and actually when you've experienced childhood trauma and you've experienced that toxic mother that is so difficult to navigate because I think you need someone who can actually sit there and say you know what that was messed up that wasn't okay that shouldn't have happened and that look on your therapist's face felt really validating I think it's quite difficult I've had this conversation with people before where there are certain strains of therapy that just are so unhelpful when you've experienced childhood trauma. And it's a bit of a minefield trying to get to that right place where you can feel both validated, but also have that personal responsibility of setting those boundaries for yourself now as an adult. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think even at the beginning stages of when I was becoming a therapist myself, I was afraid of my emotional responses to people. Um, I have a a face that gets very red and flushed sometimes. So I remember having conversations like what's going to happen if I feel an emotion in a session. And it was really one witnessing someone else validate mine in such a really true, authentic way that helped me do that for my clients, not only my therapy, but with my coaching, a a lot of what I do at the beginning is it's okay to have feelings. Mm -hmm. I think when we grow up with such toxicity from our parents, we don't learn that emotional regulation. And so we, I like to call it emotional decapitation. We, Mm -hmm. we disconnect from our bodies, from our intuitive selves, and we learn to ignore who we are And I think it takes someone else going, whoa, 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 hang on. I feel this emotion when you're telling me this story. What are you really feeling in there? And I think that's so powerful. And we lose that if we are a blank canvas sometimes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I couldn't agree more. You learn to suppress your emotions when everything is about your toxic mum. Everything is about her emotions, keeping her happy. Okay, are her needs met at this moment in time? And you're doing all of this subconsciously. And that makes it even more difficult to actually acknowledge it as an adult, because as a child, you knew no different. You were constantly regulating her emotions or trying to in some fashion, constantly trying to please her. And then all of a sudden you find yourself as an adult realizing how messed up that was and thinking, well, am I like even subconsciously, am I okay to be angry about this? Am I okay to be upset about this? Like, and you might feel it present there, but you, you don't want to upset somebody else. So we'll just suppress it a bit. And it becomes this vicious cycle of suppressing those emotions. I love that about emotional decapitation because that's exactly what it feels like. It's that disconnect between your body and your brain where your brain's going, this is wrong. Or your body's going, this is wrong. And the other one's going, nah, be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think from my personal experience, my body was screaming at me for years and years and years, this is wrong. And that showed up a lot with, um, chronic illnesses that I had showed up in terms of anxiety, what I now know is likely a complex PTSD in myself. Um, but my brain was like, it's okay. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. This is okay. You know, or you're broken, you're wrong. And that's why you're feeling this way. Yeah. That internalization. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is, for me, it was the disappointment. I heard that over and over and over again. I, there was very much the projected image of who I was supposed to be for my mother, what she wanted um, for me or of me. She wanted me to be an extension of her, but better than her and have me access and be who she couldn't be. But that wasn't who I wanted to be and who I was destined to become. And so I was perpetually a disappointment over and over and over again. So that internalization of there's something wrong with Christy, Christy must be broken. Anytime my body or my emotions would show up, oh, I'm angry. That's because I'm broken or I'm sad or I'm too sensitive or overdramatic because there's something wrong with me. It's really difficult, that internalization and that that then becomes that negative inner critic. And I often say to clients, take a look at what your inner critic sounds like. Who Whose voice is that? Whose voice is that? Sometimes it's mine. I seem to have taken over the mantle from my mum's voice. But actually, if I dig deep enough, it would be my mum's voice or it could be my dad's voice. And those those moments, those eureka moments when you realize that all those negative emotions that you're putting on yourself are coming from this place. It's that recognition of how you've internalized this negative image of yourself. So. How was it that you came to a point where you were no contact? Because you're very similar to me in that you mentioned 10 years ago, you might have said, you know, oh, we've got this wonderful closeness. This was me. I was the same. I know I've said this loads of times on the podcast. I was like, no, my mom's my best friend. We even lived together. I was so enmeshed. And it was like, no, we've got this wonderful, healthy relationship. Everybody else is just weird that they're not as close. And then it, it all came down in brimstone and hail. And <laughs> it was disastrous. But what happened for you? Yeah, I think it was, for me, it was a long time coming, but it was really the biggest step I had to take towards my freedom. I went no, no contact just a little bit over three years ago. And funnily enough, uh, the pandemic and dealing with COVID and having that actual space for my family, because we don't live near each other. 
So they couldn't travel here. I couldn't travel there. There was actual space for me to get down into what do I really want? And there was this freedom without obligation to them. And I was like, Ooh, I want more of that. Mm. Combined with being a helping professional during an incredibly stressful time, I was completely exhausted, completely burnt out. And the thing that kept coming back up was I've got to get out of this toxic system. I can't heal. I can't thrive. I can't have a life that's going to be wonderful. If I keep trying to hide who I am, be silent about who I am. I can't do that if I'm in that system with her. Mm -hmm. Um, So much of my belonging with my family was keeping silent about what had happened to me keeping silent about who my mom is, how she treated us, and then keeping silent about the abuse that happened because of her emotional neglect, because of the abuse that happened to me from one of my siblings. Um, I am really close with my sister and my mother had given me the price of staying in the family was not telling my sister about the abuse that happened to me. And that was all these things kind of bled together, which Every time I talked to my sister, I was like, I have this big shameful secret and I want to tell her and I can't tell her. And then one day I just told her and I said, hey, here's what happened. Our older sibling sexually abused me. You were in the room when it happened. I know you don't remember these things, but this is what happened. And saying those words out loud to her and getting the response from her that I never, ever got from my mother transform my life. Because when I told my mother at age 19, 20 about the abuse that had happened to me, her response was, so I'm supposed to think my son is a rapist. And there was anger at me. And it became all about her and how this knowledge was impacting her and hurting her. Yet when I told my sister, it was, oh my God, are you okay? What can I do to help you? I believe you. I support you. In a way that it was profound, but not this big dramatic deal. It was, I love you. I'm here to support you. Thank you for sharing this with me. Mm. And seeing the difference in response from someone who loves me and really cares about me and wants to have a close relationship with me versus someone who makes it all about her was my mom is not safe. My dad is not safe. I know that my sibling is definitely not safe. Okay. I can't continue to show up in those spaces anymore because they're asking me to deny who I am and parts of myself. And so I sent an email and I said, we're laying it all out there. I'm not going to be quiet anymore. I'm not going to be silent anymore. Sister knows she's going to do what she needs to, to protect her children. And I haven't looked back since. Wow. I'm really sorry that that happened to you. That shouldn't have happened to you. And that's awful. That that did. And I, I, so many people that I have spoken to have had similar situations within a toxic family unit where there has been some form of abuse from a sibling or there has been some form of abuse from some family member. And it's been from the parent, the place that you should really trust and that you should be able to go to for support in those moments. You need to be quiet about that or you're making that up. And that complete invalidation of such a horrific experience as a child is soul destroying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the responsibility that was put on me from the moment I told my parents at 1920 was 
well, it's your choice if the family stays together. Mm. And so it was my responsibility to get over the trauma, get over the abuse to keep the family together. Because if I chose to quote unquote, not get over it, not forgive and forget, then it was my fault if the family was broken apart versus we were neglectful parents. We are neglecting our duty as parents to you now as an adult. You know, there was no confrontation with my older sibling about what he did. Um, there was just anger at me and, and a request mm-hmm. and a demand for silence. Yeah. And it's, had, had you had contact with your older sibling up until that point then when you'd, um, when you cut contact? Yes. So that was part of the sort of unspoken requirement was mm. I wasn't allowed to have that particular distance with him because he was part of the family. And so I, it was my responsibility to keep the family intact. So I had contact with him up until the no contact uh, happened. The email went to my mom, my dad, and my brother all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And sent from my spouse, thankfully set up that barrier in contact and he sent it for me. Um, and it was very clearly laid out. You're not allowed to contact me. You're not welcome at our home. They were allowed to email him and he could communicate that information with me if I wanted. And I found that over the past few years, their emails back have been just as painful mm-hmm. and made me realize I don't think they're capable of change Mm. yeah what was the emails back that you received from them did they come back with anger or any surprise I mean did your older sibling have anything to say in in response to you finally confronting him I think uh, his was surprising in terms of his had the most accountability Mm. right there was no direct I'm so sorry I did this I'm really hurting you know I I'm so sorry this pain happened to you what can I do for it it was just I screwed up I'll step away from the family you know if I'm the reason that you don't have a relationship with our parents so there was accountability on his part which was interesting but it wasn't quite enough of an acknowledgement um, my dad's response, I think was, was very hurtful, but it was, I've read your email. I respect your decisions, dad. Hmm. That's it. Um, which speaks to who he's been in my life. I struggle with the compassion and empathy with him, knowing that he's also a victim of her toxicity of her verbal abuse, but also he's my dad and he should be there and protect me. And he's choosing not to do that. Yeah. Um, so for him, silence is very much been um been the pain point with my dad with my mom it was denying deflecting uh okay i shouldn't left you kids alone and then several guilt trip like emails it's been this long you still have a family we're still here for you yeah no sense of hey I screwed up. I screwed up big time. I have hurt you. I I want to make amends. I've been going to therapy. I really want to talk to you about this. It, none of that. It was classic toxic mom. Yeah. And when we talk about that classic toxic mom, it's that total lack of accountability. Like you say, when you think about it, how hard is it to say, 
I'm really sorry, I messed up. And I appreciate that perhaps for your sibling, there is the legal element there. So you can see how maybe it wasn't as explicit. It should still have been, absolutely. Of course it should have been. But you could kind of put it off as, oh, well, maybe there's a, a legal element. Maybe he's got some legal advice there or something, I don't know. But with a parent, there isn't. It's This is this is a, a, a child coming to their, an adult child coming to their parents saying, what you did has really hurt me. And I don't feel that without some kind of accountability from you, I can have a relationship with you. And it's, oh, well, come on, you're just living in the past. You're being silly. You know, you you need to let go of it. I really miss you. I love you and think of you all the time. That kind of weapon. Yeah, <laughs> you're uh, yes. rolling your eyes as I'm saying yes. that. It's that yes. weaponized guilt. Yeah, that weaponized guilt and it- it's important to remember that a guilt trip and feeling guilty are very different things. Like a guilt trip is manipulation. Like they're trying to control you to get you to do what you want, to try and change your behavior because it fits them versus guilt is a really healthy feeling and emotion to have when you're in relationship with someone, because you can go, Oh, I hurt you. I feel guilt about my actions because they've caused you harm. Not because I'm this horrible, bad person who's screwed up, but because I want to acknowledge our interactions. And so then it spurs you into action or it should, right? Yeah, it should. <laughs> it should, right? I've, I've harmed you. I hear that you say that my impact was harm. I want you to know I'm so sorry for that. What do you need to feel whole, to feel repaired, to have amends here versus, you know, the, I'm just a terrible mother. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We've all heard the, oh, well, I guess I'm the worst mother in the world or you don't know how hard it was for me. And I think as well, when you become a parent yourself, you look and you're like, no, I know exactly how hard it is actually now. And I still wouldn't do that to my child. I would still be accountable. Like, yeah, now I know how hard it is and I'm not dismissing that. Parenting can be incredibly difficult and challenging and nothing will trigger you like your own kids. But I still wouldn't behave the way you did. And where's the accountability for that? How difficult it is to be able to look in the mirror and say, oh, I screwed up. Ouch, Mm. that hurts. And it's not that we are or I am even expecting my mom or any other mom out there to be perfect and never screw up. That's not my expectation. The expectation is you can sit with that discomfort long enough to do something about it Mm. without going into that victim place where it becomes manipulation and control, where you force a child that maybe you've already parentified to come to your rescue Oh, well, I was just the worst mother ever. I'm just this terrible person. And the tears start flowing. And then you have to emotionally care for her when really in that moment, she should be emotionally caring for you. Absolutely. And it's that there's no, often I find in toxic mother-daughter relationships, it's it's very one-sided. It's about how you can, again, like I said earlier, how you can cater to her needs and how you can fix it for her, how you can make it better. You could, you could make it better with your silence and your being complicit. So do that because how dare you have these needs and these feelings that need validating when I want you to be quiet and I want you to be complicit in everything so that we can just forget it ever happened. Yes. And so that her perfect image of what the perfect family has stays intact so that she has those holiday pictures, those mother day pictures. Um, 
it was all about that external image. And if I did anything to disrupt that, then I was the one being childish or throwing a temper tantrum or not getting over it. So you now have no contact with your mom, your dad, and your oldest sibling. Do you still have contact with your sister? I do. do. I do. That was very intentional with the two of us to maintain our relationship and to maintain a relationship that our mother couldn't get in between. And have there been attempts at that? (laughs) Um, Yes. So I think uh, I am so grateful for my sister and so grateful for her strength and her and her spouse were already kind of aware that something was off and wrong and not okay with my parents. There were questions that her spouse had in terms of, I wonder how safe our kids are with them. Um, You know, requests that they had made like, Hey, please don't do this with our kids. And then they would. So there was, there was already some question there when I told her and then immediately it was okay. I'm just, she was probably what I would consider low contact. And so we, we just had to be very careful about when we talk, it's about us. We had already started doing things before it was no contact of like, Hey, come see me and let's not tell mom so that we would have time that was just us together because both of us found family events to be very stressful because they couldn't just be, let's get together and hang out. There had to be an agenda and activities and like, we're going to meet at this time. And at this time we will do this and this. And it's like, we just want to be in each other's company. The intrusions that she's tried to have include, she now lives in the same neighborhood as my sister. So uh, moved very close. Um, So there's been attempts, but I think my sister and I both see through the bullshit and know that she can't get between us. There are no secrets anymore. That's really good that you've been able to maintain that relationship because I think so often for toxic mothers, the first go-to when you cut ties is that triangulation amongst family. And do you see that quite a lot with your own clients? Yes. And particularly one of the reasons I fully went no contact was to prevent the triangulation, was to prevent you know, my dad from coming to me and saying, Hey, you really need to talk to your mom. Mm. Remember when I went away to college, I was like, great. I don't have to see her. I don't have to talk to her. This is wonderful. I can just kind of live my life. And then every two weeks I would get a phone call from my dad. Your mother really needs to hear from you. Mm. She just needs to know that you're okay. So I was already prepared from the triangulation of other people. Um, And that's one of the reasons I went no contact. A lot of the clients that I work with, um, if they have close relationships with their siblings, it's helpful. But a lot of times there are siblings that will be like, oh, but life's too short. But she's your mom. But family does for family. Mm -hmm. There there are those types of things that show up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult because, you know, we all we all have that, especially at this time of year as well. We all have that idea of what the family will look like. And I I mean, I look at my own kids and I'm like, I said to my husband not so long ago, I'm really looking forward to when they've got their own little family units. And I'm hoping everybody can come to us and just think if we've got all of this around the tree, we have these ideas of what that will look like. And actually I have to be accepting that that might not be the choices that they make and that's okay. I will be disappointed for me, but that's not their problem. That's a me problem. 
because yes. I've got this idea in my head of what I look forward to and and that's okay to have those ideas so for a sibling to not have that experience anymore where you've got one sibling who maybe doesn't attend family events because they know that parents will be there or you've got parent in your ear saying oh I really want to see my child and it's not there you can understand how they very much slip into that role of flying monkey and wanting to fix everything for the toxic parent they essentially take your role as the parentified child the scapegoat and put it on their shoulders and go oh, well I better fix everything now and this is what we see in dysfunctional families that these patterns are all the same and so debilitating to any kind of healthy normal relationship yeah absolutely and I think that sense of obligation I remember when you know, I was in contact with my older sibling. It was, I feel so bad for them. They can't be alone on the holidays or alone on this day. And I'm just going, well, who cares? They've kind of earned be, being alone, mm. right? And I think for me, the parentification, because my my younger sister, she's six years younger than me. And one of the ways I was parentified was caring for her. And so, you know, I was six, seven years old and waking up with her in the middle of the night and handling her separation anxiety. And so I think for us, because that parentification happened, there is a bond there that I have with her that my mom's just not going to get in between yeah. and she just can't. And in some ways I'm the, the safer person, the safer quote unquote parent for her. Um, but yeah, the, the holidays make it extra tricky and big life events, I think make having a toxic mom extra tricky it's something about that energy that brings out the chance to ruin it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The chance to ruin it and therefore make it all about themselves. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I I saw it with my own mom, you know, going through my own life events, you know, graduating from grad school. Oh, we want to celebrate you. And then they actually make it a combined family thing. Mm -hmm. Or there was lots of minimizing of achievements to uplift somebody else, to uplift her. Um, I, I think for us, there was such a demand for obedience mm -hmm. that the holidays were really about how do you conform? How do you be strict? How do you follow um, what the demands are? And no matter what we did, it was never quite enough. It was, we were never there long enough. We were never visiting enough. Um, we were never close enough. There would be lots of, oh, well, other families spend so much time together. Why aren't we like that? There'd be lots of lamenting about how bad it was, but no actionable steps to change or correct that from her. Yeah. And it's like, like I just said, though, you might have these ideas in your head of how things will look. And that's OK to have those and to plan for those. But that's the her problem that it's not going that way, because when your children become adults, they have their own lives. They have their own things going on. You know, I've, I've got three kids and I think about all of the things that have to do around them for Christmas. And it's huge. There's so much with schools and we're at different schools now. So there's all sorts of things going on left, right and center. And then there's friends and then there's this and there's that. And 
it's a really busy time of year. So if your expectation on your adult child was that they were going to pander to your every single whim, which is the case with toxic mothers, then you got to let go of that real quick. Otherwise, you're going to end up falling into this trap of being that toxic mother that expects, expects, expects. Yeah. And the expecting without any earning, right? Like, I think it's okay to have expectations in relationships. And I think it's okay to have expectations with, you know, your adult children, right? Like I have an expectation that we'll have a close relationship. Great. What are you doing to be worthy of that? Mm -hmm. What are you doing to contribute to that relationship? What are you doing to listen to your child when they said, I don't enjoy holidays with you? Can they say that to you? This isn't fun for me. This isn't pleasurable. This is actually really stressful. Mm -hmm. Can we change this? And I think it's it's being willing to mourn your own expectations and show up in a way that is is worthy of, of that adult child. Because one thing I tell my clients, therapy and coaching alike, is you don't owe your mom anything. Yes. I love to hear that because I've, I've always been a big believer in you don't owe your parents anything. Like my kids don't owe me anything. I don't owe my parents anything. You don't owe someone simply for your existence. And I do think that a lot of parents who have perhaps had kids that are my age in their 30s and 40s now, their ex, their idea was that they had this debt mindset that, well, I've had you and I've put a roof over your head and I've fed you and I've done this and all these things that are literally basic legal requirements. Like we're talking bare minimum. You just stayed out of jail. Like that was right. it. That was it. That's all you did, Sheila. You <laughs> stayed out of jail. Like that was it. <laughs> and because they've done that, they feel like, okay, well now you owe me something because I did that. And it's just not the way that parenting is supposed to work. It's not the way that relationships are supposed to work. That debt mindset with our children is catastrophic for relationships. Absolutely. And that's a that's a hard one, I think, for adult children of a toxic mom to be able to say, I don't owe her anything because so much of your survival as a kid was keep her happy keep her happy, keep her from being angry, keep her from throwing things, keep her from grounding you, keeping her from spanking you. I mean, whatever you need to do to keep her from getting mad, including hiding yourself. And so there becomes uh, a, a trapping in there, not that you owe her, but that you've got to overcome that survival mechanism and go, oh, I'm an adult. I have my own place. I am not obligated to her anymore. Her happiness is not dependent on my survival. I can set that coping skill down. And so I don't have that sense of obligation to her. It's a real journey to relearn that, to relearn that you don't owe a toxic parent anything because you are raised with that debt mindset and you you do have that survival mechanism. What are the tips that you say to clients to help them shift that debt mindset that they have and to kind of move forward with their lives? Because I always say challenging that inner voice that makes you think, oh, but you know, she did this for me. But what would you advise clients? One of the things I'd like to ask them is what could healthy adult you say to kid you? Like take, you know, a really difficult memory, like my mom tossing all the everything out of the dresser what would you as an adult go back and say to yourself as a kid and it's like oh 
what would I do for that person? What would I do for myself in that situation? And practicing that conversation in your head. So I would say, little girl, Christy, I'm so sorry you're hurting right now. This is not okay. You will survive this. You will get through this. She shouldn't have done that. And so I getting over that survival and that debt mindset is reminding yourself that you're safe. You're okay. You don't have to have her in your life. And it's because things work until they don't. So if you have that survival mindset, it saved you in your childhood. I don't want you to hate that and be upset with it. I want you to have a sense of compassion for yourself. I'm not going to say gratitude because you don't have Mm -hmm. to be grateful for that, but you made it, you survived, you got out. Great. Are you safe now? Because if you're not, you're not going to get out of that survival mindset, right? And then what do you, that inner child, that piece of you that's still surviving, what does she need to feel safe, to feel cared for, to feel loved? And then give that to yourself, whether it's it's validation, whether it's soothing and comforting, whether it's play, whether it's allowing anger in your life. I love that. And I think that's really powerful to say, what is it that you need now? That inner child work. And I I find inner child work really difficult. And I think a lot of people who've been in a similar situation with toxic mums find inner child work so difficult because they have a difficulty connecting to their inner child because they've been so disconnected for so long and had to suppress all of that because our needs and our values start from when we are children. So if we're constantly suppressing all of them, we're suppressing our inner child as well. And it's so difficult to connect back to that inner child. And I do, I've done the practice of sitting and and talking to your inner child at those core memories and going through it. And I find it so difficult. And I think it's, it's reassuring to hear people saying how powerful that can be because it is such a powerful practice. But also I think that it's important to acknowledge how difficult that can be when you've had that toxic mum and why. Because you often think to yourself, or oh, I certainly did anyway, that there must just be something wrong with me again, that internalizing it must be me. That when I came to do inner child work, I found it really difficult and I felt a bit agitated with it and I felt a bit cringe and, oh, I really don't like this. I want to talk to little me. And there was almost a residual anger there of, well, you should have been able to fix this or you should have been able to do something to get out of that situation and make it better, especially, and again, you might relate to this as a late bloomer as well, of being in my 30s before I finally cut ties and saying no. I look back at 20-year-old me and I'm like, what were you doing? (laughs) Yeah. What, what, did you not see this nonsense? What were you doing? And I did see this nonsense and I suppressed it and I internalized it. And it's so difficult to look back at those different stages and say, yep, I I see that through a totally different lens now and have those conversations with those younger yous and to see that anger that is there at yourself and to be able to unpick it all. It's a real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the anger is real. I think when I do a lot of inner child work, she's very angry because anger is is the feeling I couldn't have as a kid, right? And so I think if we can't have a feeling or emotion, it gets big. You know, the more we suppress, the more we don't feel, the bigger they get and they explode on us, right? And so the only person that was allowed to be angry in my house was my mom, right? right. And if it's hard, go slow. 
you know, and as much as you can recognize that the anger towards yourself is telling you something and it may be masking a harder, more difficult emotion, which is grief. Because if you are a late bloomer or looking back, you know, in your twenties and going, what the hell were you doing? There's really underneath that is grief. Oh, I'm so sad Mm. that even at 20, 25, early thirties, I couldn't see it. I couldn't get out. I didn't have the resources to do it. And I'm grieving the loss of that decade where I could have been living a different life. And you are allowed to grieve those things. I think quite often, and we hear this when people talk about they had this wonderful relationship with their parent and their parents passed away. And here's you choosing not to have a relationship with a parent that is there. And it's almost like, oh, well, I've made this choice, so I'm not allowed to have grief. You absolutely are allowed to have that grief. You're allowed to grieve what was lost. You're allowed to grieve what should have been. And I think there is a lot of grief that surrounds estrangement, not this pretend grief that comes from toxic parents who have lost not somebody they view as a person, but who have lost somebody they view as a tool or as somebody who they own but for you as the person who was the victim in the scenario and is the survivor of it all, who can say, actually, I should have had this. And it's really sad that I didn't. And you're allowed to feel grief for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we talk about like mother wound, I that's how I like to describe that grief mm-hmm. is sort of the last layer that you peel off of grief or one of the deeper layers of grief is mourning the loss of who you needed, Mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of times when we go no contact, it is just, I need safety. I need to get out of the situation. And then choosing no contact for the long term becomes, you can never be that person I need you to be. And I am never going to have that mom or that dad that I need to have. You're just not capable of it. Not from a, you know, villainization purpose, but from a, you just can't do it. And grief requires transformation from us. And it, and there's death there. Like I'm mourning the loss of the fairy tale. I'm mourning the loss of, I don't have a mom and dad that can be there for me. It's a big loss. They've never been capable of it. And yes, they're alive and it's complicated, but they can't do it. And if I let myself feel that and acknowledge that grief, then I get access to transformation. Then I get access to, well, who are my people? Where do I feel safe and loved and supported? I get access to so much more when I stop trying to make people who can't give it to me, give that to me. And and like you say, it's that access to more. That's the thing. I think we can be so afraid to be alone, to be the outlier. If you are, you know, cutting ties with your whole family, it makes it feel even easier to turn around to yourself and say, well, it must be you. It must be you. You're the only one on the outside now, right? And it's not you. It's you allowing yourself to step forward into more because there is more out there. You can create your own family. You can create your own network of people that value you for you. And it's really difficult to make that first step. 
Yes, absolutely. Making that first step and also letting go of what is the narrative within the toxic family about you? Mm. Because the narrative within that family could be you're angry, you're, you know, you're just throwing a temper tantrum, you know, just trying to get your way, you know, what are the flying monkeys? What are the minions saying about you? Part of getting access to more is letting go to whatever narrative they're spinning because you can't control it. You can only control what you know is your truth and seeking out people who see your truth, want to understand your truth and want to be a part of it. Yeah. One of the things that I say to clients all the time is, is this within the realm of our control and is this within the realm of our responsibility? And mm-hmm. if the answer to that is no, you've got to let it go. It's not about you. It's not your responsibility. And it's not something that you can control. So that narrative that is being spun of you're such a bad person, we all show up as the villain in someone's story at some point. We have to, unfortunately. I mean, as much as, as people pleasers, I'm sure we'd love to just always be the good guy. That's not how life works. And we're always going to show up as the villain in someone's story. But unless there is something that you can control there, maybe your own behaviors, things that you've done, be accountable for. Can you do any of that? Do you need to do any of that? No? Okay, so that's not within your control. Is it your responsibility to create a narrative for your parents at the sacrifice of yourself no therefore this is not in your control or your responsibility and we've got to let it go which is is really difficult to do it sounds so simple it is really difficult to do but it is an important step in moving forwards and one of the first steps in that is setting your boundaries and one of those boundaries might be no contact it might be low contact everybody's looks different In my experience, a low contact relationship rarely stays low contact once you start to do the work. Once you start to do the work, it almost inevitably becomes no contact unless you have a parent who is willing to put work in as well. Absolutely. And and I think the same. And I think low contact, if, if that's what you need, that's what you need, right? If that's the first step you need to take, great, do it. Um, yeah, I love adding the, is it your responsibility? Because I think for those who have been parentified to take care of mom and have every, like, you were totally responsible for her and her feelings. Once you step away from being responsible for everybody else's feelings, then you can be responsible for your own. I say that a lot when I'm helping people set boundaries. They're like, well, what if she gets mad? Then she gets mad. Yeah. She's allowed to get mad. She's allowed to not like your boundaries. Does that mean it's your fault? Does that mean you're responsible for it? No. That picking apart of, well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? And trying to plan ahead for the scenarios. We can do that. But are any of these things your responsibility or something that you need to navigate no that's a her problem and that's quite difficult to let go of and I think when we start to set boundaries we look so much at could we have done that differently did we need to say it nicer should we have done it this way should we have done it that no you set your boundary perfectly well it is simply a case of they don't like it and they're going to have to get over that because that is your boundary. And boundaries are so often confused with controlling other people or a set of rules. And they're not, they're not at all. It's about finding what is acceptable to you and what you can live with. It's all about how it reflects for you, 
not about controlling other people's babies because you can't you simply cannot control other people's babies and that's something I hear a lot when I talk about boundaries is people will say oh you're just trying to control things no you're not what you're saying is I don't feel that this is acceptable for me and I can't live with somebody treating me that way. Therefore, if you treat me this way, which I can't control, if you choose to do that, that's a you thing. But if you do treat me this way, then I'm going to have to remove myself from the situation because I don't find that acceptable. And that's that's fine. Everybody can do that. Yeah. And I think that is ultimately where the no contact place comes in is maybe you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. And the pushback when you set that boundary is so extreme that even things like low contact or minimal boundaries of, Hey, I don't want to talk about that. Please don't speak to me this way. Mm. Um, you know, don't show up to my house unannounced. I think when you've tried to set the smaller boundaries and then there's been no attempt to keep them on someone else's part, that's when the no contact comes in. It's essentially a checklist. Have you tried this and this and this and this? Okay. Pushback is to be expected when somebody's setting a boundary, but the pushback could be, oh, you don't feel safe talking to me about this. Is there something we could do to work on our relationship? So I am a person you could trust or, hey, I respect that. You know, you don't want to go there. That's fine. But if there's just sort of steamrolling over you again and again and again, that's where the no contact comes in is you're not setting boundaries wrong. Just the boundary needs to be nothing, no access, because she's just not capable of respecting even a small minimal one that you put in place. Christy, this has been so helpful and such a good episode. Thank you so much. Can you let people know where they can find you? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. You can find me on Instagram at toxic mother recovery. So toxic underscore mother underscore recovery. And if you're needing help, with your toxic mom in terms of is no contact the best choice for me, or I'm considering going no contact. I don't know what to do. You can check out my free Facebook group. So facebook.com slash groups slash toxic mother recovery. Amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. I think there is a real power in sharing these stories and knowing that you are not alone. You're not alone. Thank you so much for having me Harriet. And Uh, for all the work you're doing here so that I don't feel alone, you don't feel alone and everyone listening doesn't feel alone either. Thank you so much. Right, guys, I will speak to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.